And indeed, we're coming off a uh, action-packed week, and it was just great. And when I was saying it was probably the most well-thought-out and detailed retreat I've ever been to. I've never been to a retreat where all the volunteers they got gifts for, and they were actually waiting in their rooms when they checked in. You know, each one of the speakers had their own gift basket that was waiting for them when they arrived in the room. We had our our hospitality crew. You know, I call them the tennis ball crew in those bright green shirts that you could spot them if you needed help. It was just amazing. And, you know, one of the themes I got heard over and over was, you know what? I see their face on Sunday, but I never connected with them. I never talked with them. And this was a, was a time for people to connect with each other and inspire one another. Did you see that zip line? You actually had to climb up a telephone pole in order to get to that platform to stop. And guess who did it? Dorothy Suji. You know, one of our golden seniors. And then Kay Hirose and Bob Hirose. You know, Kay is getting rotator cup surgery in her left arm. And so she made it up. And some of the people were afraid to go up. But they said, man, if Dorothy and Kay could go up, there's no way I'm going to chicken out. You know, so it was just a wonderful, wonderful weekend. So thank you. But, um, you know, one of the uh, our speakers was Trent Ming from Becoming Church, an amazing, amazing uh, communicator. But he brought up the example or the illustration of the Karate Kid, right? Do you all remember the Karate Kid? And that's where Daniel LaRusso sought out Mr. Miyagi to teach him karate because he was getting big, beaten up. And so what was the first thing that Mr. Miyagi did? He had a bunch of cars. He says, well, you wash the cars. As soon as you wash the cars, I want you to wax them. What was that? Wax on and wax off. And then he did that. Then what? Well, there's these floors. Sand the floor. And that's what he had to do. And so he sanded the floor. And then he said, okay, there's a fence. I want you to paint the fence. Right? Paint the fence. And so he did that. And it's similar for those of you who are younger who saw Dre Parker being trained by Mr. Han, where he said, hang up your jacket. Take your jacket off. Put it on. Take it off. Put your jacket on the ground. Pick it up. Put it on the... So he's doing that over and over and over again. And both Daniel and Dre are getting frustrated because they wanted to learn martial arts. And all they're doing is this person's chores or dropping down a jacket and putting it on. But what they didn't realize, that both Mr. Miyagi and Mr. Han were teaching them martial arts and they didn't even know it, Right? Wax on. What well, wax off? That's a block. Wax on, wax off is a block. You know, he's teaching them block strokes, right? And so they didn't even know they were learning martial arts. All they thought they were doing was chores. It wasn't easy. It wasn't fun. They complained about it because they thought they were going to learn martial arts. But all they were doing is these menial tasks that they didn't see the connection between what they were doing and the ability to learn martial arts. You know, in the Sermon of the Mount, you know, that's what we're doing, right? Um, When you look at the teachings of Jesus, you know, they're not easy. And we're going, why are we doing this? All we're doing is waxing on and waxing off. 
But if you look at the Sermon on the Mount and you pay attention to what Jesus is saying, and if you follow what Jesus is saying, over time, you're going to become more and more like Jesus. It's not fun. It's not easy. But it's necessary. It's necessary. And we're going to get into two parts of the Sermon on the Mount this week and next week that are really going to test you because you might feel like you're waxing on and waxing off and you're going, you know, Pastor Dave, we've been on the Sermon on the Mount for a while and I'm not seeing any change in my life. Well, guess what? It's just going to get a little bit more difficult, but we're asking you to hang on because Jesus is training you to become his disciples even though you don't know it. So if you have your Bibles, can you turn with me to Matthew 5.38? Matthew 5.38. And he continues, Jesus continues to say, You have heard it said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. And once again, he said, you have heard it said. Have you ever had something so ingrained in a culture that somebody has to repeat over and over and over? You go, you have heard it said this, but I am saying this. And Jesus is keeping on saying this because he knows there's a certain culture or an attitude that the Jewish people have that need to be changed. He said, yes, you have heard it says this, but... I say this, I say this. And he said, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And where does this come from? Well, this comes from Exodus 21, 23 to 25. And this was the law. He says, but if there is serious injury, you are to take life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and bruise for bruise. That's where this is coming from, the Old Testament law, right? And actually, this is called the Lex Talionis, which is the law of retribution, which is actually um, instilled by king, the Babylonian king Hammurabi, maybe about 200 years before Moses. But if you take a look at this, you know, most of us will think, well, that's barbaric, an eye for an eye, that means if somebody does something and it takes up my eye, man, I'm going to go back and I'm going to gouge out his eye. If he burns me, guess what? I'm going to go and burn him. And this was a law. So if somebody did something to you, you were able to um, reciprocate in kind. And that looks like barbaric. But there were two reasons for this law. It's the first one, it was to curtail for the crime. Man, you would think twice about hurting somebody. If you knew legally that person could do that to you. You know, how many of these gangster mobster movies do we see where we see them, you know, they're not paying a debt. Oh, I'm going to break your leg. Well, man, you'd think twice about breaking somebody's leg and collecting a debt if you knew that they could do that to you if they were caught. So number one, it curtailed crime. But the second purpose was to prevent excessive punishment. The punishment was to match but not exceed the harm done by the offense himself, right? So let's say that um, Mako, you know, hits me and he gives me a black eye. Well, I couldn't retaliate by killing him, right? The best thing I could do is give him a black eye. Right, But what people were doing is they were using this as a personal way to retaliate. So that law really showed mercy. right? Because back then you got to realize it was a more barbaric time. And so what this is saying, that there was a limit to what you could do to retaliate 
to what somebody did to you. And so this was just law, and this was a merciful law. The problem is when we look at it from today's culture, it looks um, barbaric. But Jesus goes on. And we're going to take a look at, to me, these are one of the probably the most misunderstood verses, you know, in the gospel. Okay? And Jesus goes on by saying, I tell you, do not resist an evil person. And this is what Jesus said. Do not resist an evil person. What does that sound like? That's not like, hey, if somebody's doing wrong, just don't resist them. Don't do anything. Just let them do their thing. Let God take care of it. Right? That we're supposed to be pacifists. That we're supposed to allow evil people to do evil things. Right? Because we're not supposed to resist them. This is not what Jesus is saying here. Because we saw Jesus resisting evil, right? He got mad when he had those money changers in the temple. He overthrew their tables. He got out a whip. And he started (laughs) destroying, you know, their um, tables and all of that. He got angry. But what is Jesus saying here? Is do not resist an evil person by retaliating with evil actions. Okay, that's what he's saying. He's saying that we're not to be a pacifist and just put our hands in a pocket when people are doing evil. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying when somebody does evil, do not retaliate with evil. Because isn't that probably what first comes to our mind? If something did something to hurt us, what do we want to do? We want to hurt them back. And we'll use the same tactics they use to hurt us. And that's what Jesus is saying. And he goes on to say, give us four examples of how not to do this in four situations. He said, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Now this is a huge misunderstood verse. Because when you think about it, what do you think? When they say turn the other cheek, that means, man, if somebody hits you, it's like, okay, okay, go for it. That's not what Jesus is saying. And to use this, uh, to give you an example, I want to bring, once again, Marco forward. Marco, I'm going to tell you what it means to be, if someone (laughs) slaps you on your right cheek. Okay? So I'm going to slap you on the right cheek. You're going to slap me? No, okay. I'm going to slap you. I'm not going to let you slap me. I'm the senior pastor. What are you talking about? You know, okay. Marco, what's your right side? Okay. Remember, we talked about if you were to do anything of importance, what side of the body did the Jews feel you would use? The right. Okay, so it says, if I slap Marco on the right cheek, this is his right cheek. So if I'm going to do anything of importance, it's going to be with my right hand. Okay, so the only way for me to slap him on the right cheek, is, it'd be weird if I go like this. Bam. You know, because normally you just go boom, right? But for me to slap him with my right hand on his right cheek, I'd have to go like this. And that's such a weird motion. What he was saying, the only way for me to slap Michael, Michael, Marco, <laughs> the cheek, right cheek with my right hand was to use my backhand, would be to go like this. Bam. Bam. That's what Jesus was talking about. Thanks, Marco. You could sit down there. Now, why is that significant? If you slap somebody, that's an insult. If you slap somebody with the back of your hand, in that culture, that was the ultimate insult. So in today's culture, that'd be like if I spit on Marco. 
You know, I, it's one thing to say, Marco, I think you're crazy to like the Seahawks, right? You're a Seahawks fan. Oh, you, you're nuts, right? It'd be something totally different. If I said, what do you mean you like the Seahawks? And I spit in his face. That would be the ultimate insult. And so what Jesus is saying here, when somebody delivers the ultimate insult, do not retaliate. Do not retaliate. He's not saying don't defend yourself, because I believe as believers we're allowed, if somebody's attacking you or your spouse or your family, yes, we are to defend ourselves. We're not supposed to say, okay, turn the other cheek. But what Jesus is saying here is if somebody insults you, don't retaliate back by insulting them. Turn the other cheek and just let them, you know, insult you. Don't retaliate. Then he goes on. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. And for us, once again, in our society, this may not make any sense. But you have to realize the average um, Jew, a male Jew, had two pieces of garment. They usually had two shirts and they had a coat. Okay, And the coat was used as a garment that, to keep warm. So, of course, you know, they had to walk from place to place, right? And a lot of times they had to sleep outside. It was a coat that kept them warm. It was an essential piece of clothing. And so if somebody didn't have money, you could sue them for clothing instead of money. But you could not sue to take their coat because a coat was seen as an invaluable piece of clothing, which would cause much harm if that was taken away. So what Jesus is saying is, if anyone sues you, now I don't know if any of you have been sued before, but when somebody sues you, there's, you know, know, rightly or wrongly, there is a sense that, ooh, I want to get back at them. And what does Jesus say here? Hand over your coat as well. Now, I don't think he's talking literally here, meaning if somebody says, okay, I'm going to sue you for $10,000, okay, might as well take my house too. I'll give you my house. No, that's not what Jesus is saying here. What he's saying is when somebody attempts to sue you and you get the urge to retaliate, basically what he was saying, we need to have the attitude to be willing to give up something of extreme value rather than to retaliate. That's what he said. Our attitude should be one of, I'm willing to give up something of extreme value rather than to retaliate. It's a hard issue that Jesus is looking at. How hard is that? You know, when somebody sues you, what do you want to do? You want to protect what you have. You want to maybe counter-sue them to get back what they took. But Jesus says, no, we should have the attitude to give them something of extreme value, meaning that our, you know, our attitude, our, our desire to tre- retaliate should be far, far away from that situation. That we shouldn't even be thinking about retaliation to that. You know, in Proverbs twenty five twenty one, it says, "If your enemy is hungry, give him food to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. In doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you." Once again, if your enemy sues you, and this is hard, what is Jesus saying? Your attitude should not be that of 
retaliation. That these are just things. That these are just things that could be replaced. The Lord will reward you. The next example. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Think, what's that all about? You know, if anyone forces you to walk two miles with them, one mile, walk two miles. Go, what do they do? We want my company? Okay, Jesus, I'll walk with them two miles. But you got to realize, back in those days, whether you were a Roman, you know, politician or a Roman soldier, you had the right to ask any civilian to carry your luggage, your equipment, your weapons, your food, anything for one mile in any circumstances. You know, Caitlin's going to Hawaii, right? She has a flight flight in one hour. She's on her way to the airport. You know, she's a Jew. I'm a Roman. Okay, so Caitlin, hey, I want you to carry my stuff, and we're going to walk one mile. And she can't say, oh, you know, but I got a flight in one hour. I don't care. You got to carry my stuff. Why? To make my life easier as a Roman soldier or as a Roman politician. And what would happen is, okay, as soon as Caitlin finished, I'd say, okay, Jeff, you pick up that stuff and let's walk a mile. And then it'd go on and on and on. Why? So I wouldn't be burdened by carrying those things. The Jews hated the Romans. How do you think they felt when their enemy had the right to ask him to carry whatever they wanted for one mile just so it would relieve them. This was the context that Jesus was talking about here, right? How many of you have worked in a place where you had a a boss or a manager or supervisor who used their power Okay, well, okay, you raise a hand. That's good. You know, we've all been there. Who've used their power to what? Make their lives better, but to make your lives... They didn't care about you. All they did was they used their power to make their lives better at the expense of you. All right? I used to have that at Continental. Man, I had probably the worst managers I've ever had in my life. You know, um... But, you know, as a believer, and they would just abuse their power, and there's nothing, nothing that we could do about it. Because it's one thing to have a manager that's bad, but it's even worse when your boss is good friends with their boss and so forth. So all the way up the line, there's these relationships of people who are tied together, and then there's me, right? That's not a fun place to be in. And they had asked me to do stuff. But you know what's interesting? You know, I did this. If they asked me to do a report, okay, I did it. But I would go above and beyond what I was supposed to do. And everything I did, even though they were horrible bosses, even though I knew I wasn't going to get any credit for this, that they were going to get credit for my work, this is what I did. If they asked me to do something... I would do that and then some. Do that and then some. Which it was worse because the next thing I know, I became their go-to guy. You know? But Jesus was teaching me to wax on (laughs) 
and wax off. Was it fun? No. I couldn't stand it when you would have these meetings and I would hear that they're telling the VP this is what they did. And it was all my ideas in my work. But you know what? God, you know, I was just saying, okay, well, God saw it. You know, God knows. But it's not easy. But this is what Jesus was saying that we need to do. If you're in that situation and somebody is using their power to make your life miserable only to make theirs easier, guess what? Walk with them two miles instead of one. And finally, he says, um, if anyone, <coughs> if give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So what he's saying, if somebody wants to borrow from you, um, don't turn that person away, but give it to them. But there's a caveat here, and we see this in Luke 6.35, and this is where I think Jesus explains it. He says, but love your enemies, okay, enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and your you will be the children of the Most High. What's he saying? Lend to your enemies. So if your enemy asks something of you, don't turn them away. Because what's our first response? All right, I got one up on this guy. Now I've got the advantage. He needs or she needs something from me. Guess what? I'm not going to give it to them. Why? Because that means I have the advantage. I have the upper hand. Because my enemy needs something from me. And I'm going to withhold. What does Jesus say? Not only to withhold, not only not to withhold, but don't ask anything in return. Wax on, wax off. It's not easy stuff. I mean, I could just see us doing this. I did this and I was complaining. Lord, what are you asking me to do? This is crazy. I don't like this. I'm not learning anything. I'm not becoming more like your son, Jesus. I'm worse. I'm becoming an angry person. You know? But through this act of listening to Jesus, you are being changed into his likeness. And you don't even know it. You know, he says that you are the salt of the earth in Matthew 5, 13. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled in the foot. God is saying, look, I want to show the world what it's like to live a life in my kingdom. I want to show this world what it could be if people lived like the way I instructed to live. And guess what? All of you disciples of Jesus Christ, you are the ones that are going to show the world this. Right? But if we're not, if we're not, you know, what good are we? You know, if we're acting just like the world, how can we change the world? How, we, how can we make this a place that God knows it can be if we're not doing that? And that's exactly what this means. And we know that salt, once salt is salt, it cannot not become salt anymore, 
right? But, you know, there were certain parts of Israel, when they did get salt, it was mixed with other elements. And when that salt was mixed with other elements, it tasted horrible. It tasted horrible. And it was good for nothing, so they would just have to throw it away. And that's what Jesus is saying. You know, salt is used to preserve. Salt is used to flavor. And if, the, if we as disciples of Jesus Christ aren't doing that, we're like that salt that's mixed in with all of these other elements. It's, it's, it's worthless to God. So how do we become that salt that flavors and preserves? Well, we wax on and we wax off. We do the things that Jesus is telling us to do. And you can't do that without him. You can. Next week, we're going to talk about loving our enemies. Oh, even harder. Even harder. But this is what we signed up for. This is what we signed up for. But you'd be amazed how much that would change you. I mean, just, just think for one minute how different your relationships would be. Maybe it's with your family members. Maybe it's with your girlfriend or boyfriend. Maybe if it's with your spouse. You know, these close relationships. What would they be like if you didn't retaliate? Because we all know how to press each other's buttons, right? But what would it be like if somebody presses your button and you don't retaliate? Right? Your relationships would be a lot different. And this is what Jesus was talking about. So what's our weekly challenge? Weekly challenge is to read Matthew 5, 38 to 42 every day. Now, I know this is wax on, wax off. This is real hard. So I just assigned you one thing. (laughs) If you are persecuted this week, do not retaliate, but respond in love. Whether it's your family members, your spouse, a co-worker, somebody in your organization, somebody in the church, If somebody persecutes you this week, do not retaliate. Do not retaliate, but respond in love. And see what happens. You may not get a good result. You may say, okay, God, I gave them my right cheek and whap, they just slapped me in the left. I gave them my left cheek and whap, they slapped me in the right again. Well, that might happen. But hopefully over the course of being slapped <laughs> or insulted and not responding, we become more like Jesus Christ, right? And he's the ultimate example. When he was being persecuted before going to the cross, he didn't retaliate. He didn't, re- he didn't uh, respond with insults. You know, he just took it to be our example. Let's pray. And Caitlin, could you come up? I know as I said this sermon, immediately there were people that came into your mind. People that bother you. People who have the knack of insulting you. People who seem to get joy and pleasure out of seeing you suffer. I know that as we shared this, there was some person who came to your mind. But as we learn to become disciples of Jesus Christ, Jesus is asking us not to retaliate, to not resist an evil person by responding 
with evil actions, that we are to respond with love. That darkness is never overcome by darkness, but only overcome by light. Hate is never overcome by hate, but it is only overcome by love. And I know that some of us might be taking steps to follow the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we're not seeing any results. That other person may not change, but what you don't see is that you are changing. So, Father, I pray for each person here as they go through this week, as they are challenged and they are pushed by people in our lives. Father, may we value becoming more like your son, Jesus Christ, more than we value retaliation. And even though, Father, we not, may not see the immediate results of these following your words that we would have faith knowing that over time, over time, we indeed, through the help of your spirit, will be transformed into your likeness. And that you would be glorified. And so when people do abuse us and we respond in love, Father, they're going, wow, you know, why are they doing that? Why are they doing that? And then we could respond. We are doing this because we are are your disciples and that we care about them. Thank you. In your son's name we pray. Amen.